Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. What was it uh, Eric Alper told us? This tour, the Eras Tour, is going to total probably a billion dollars. Maybe we could just borrow money from Taylor Swift. You know, we're laggards in the G7 and productivity. We just heard that from the Montreal Economic Institute, number six out of seven countries. Our national debt is over a trillion. The parliamentary budget officer, Yves Giroux, our good friend, told us that it costs $46 billion a year to service the national debt. So maybe we could just borrow a few bucks from Taylor Swift. Just a thought. We'll have Tom Korski look into that. He's laughing already. I like the way you think outside the box. <laughs> we could use that. It just occurred to me. If she can make a billion. Yeah, exactly. Right? With one tour. Why can't we have some of that? Why? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How, Why can't we have some of that? And we do not. How fair is that? It's not. <laughs> Our good friend Tom. This, this, is, this is the seed of Bolshevism, Roy. This is exactly how it starts. Ivan has two goats. I don't have any. How fair is that? Well, how about the guy who takes the ten men who go to dinner? Remember that one, the parable. Exactly. And and they wind up beating up the the guy they perceive as the best deal, who's the wealthiest guy who pays the most. And then he doesn't show up for dinner the next time, and. Who's paying the bill? Because nobody's got any money. Uh, Tom Korski, executive editor of Blacklock's Reporter at Minding Ottawa on uh, Twitter. I always enjoy these segments. I laugh myself silly, and it's important stuff. But we have uh, we have a good time relating things. I think it's therapy. Tom, I think it's therapy. I like that approach. Yeah, me too. So let's continue. In the very same vein, you report on Blacklock's Reporter on August the 9th. And I was giggling when I read this. The federal government subsidizing Arctic goose farm in the name of climate change spends at least $240,000 to promote consumption of light geese. What are light geese? Not to wild geese. They like the domesticated geese. Oh. This is interesting, Roy. The climate change connection was a little bit shaky. I, I, we read it many times and didn't quite get it. But when the government likes a project, they really like it a lot. And they like this project to raise geese, have a, a little goose farm, and note of it on Hudson Bay. And we know it's at least $240,000, but that's only from one agency. That's uh, Northern Economic Development under the Department of Industry. Uh, the Canadian Institute of Health Research is also funding this goose farm. And it, it feeds into this general program about somehow uh, prescribing alternative diets to people who live in Nunavut. Well, so what if it's not an alternative diet? They have another program, and this is my favorite program. This is even better than the Goose Farm program. It's called Harvest Support Grant Program. It costs $8 million a year. And what they do is they will offer indigenous people who live in the Arctic grants, free money, to uh, pursue the uh, harvesting of country foods, they call them. In other words, hunting and fishing. You can get a free snow. Country food. foods? 
Country foods, they call them. In other words, food <laughs> that people in Nunavut have eaten for millennia. Yes, indeed. You can get a free snowmobile. I'm not making this up. Come on. This came up in committee Come testimony. on. All you have to do is say, look, at, uh, we would like to pursue some country foods. Can I get a grant for a snowmobile? And the Department of Crown Indigenous Relations will say, yes, you can. Yeah, you're not serious. Yeah. I'm afraid you we, are. We, I'm scared that you are. We don't make this up, right? Oh, oh no, there was a goodness. deputy minister. His name was Daniel Quad Watson. He testified on this program a, a year ago in the Public Accounts Committee. They're, they're the ones that follow the money. My favorite committee after government operations. And he was asked, does this include free snowmobiles? And he replied, yes, yes, it does. I can tell you, I'm quoting, depending on what the recipient group chooses to do, snowmobiles can be available, unquote. Well, I'm assuming now that there's finally a program that will let me get rid of my car and get a new one. There must be a government program. You're living in the wrong part of the country, so that's the right parameters one. of which I can, <laughs> I can, I can satisfy, and I can, I can. I don't want to really get rid of my car. I just make a joke about it. But you know, if I can get a brand new one by just satisfying some government program, I'm in. I'm in. You know the problem with these uh, programs, Roy. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with a goose farm in Nunavut. No, there is not. The problem is none of these programs are fully funded. It's all borrowed money, so the kids, I hope, enjoy the goose and the snowmobiles because they will be paying the interest on the bonds the rest of their working lives. Exactly. That's the problem. That is the problem. And again, just go back to what Yves Giroux told us, $46 billion annually right now, be more soon, soon to service uh, the $1 trillion plus national debt. Now, there's another story here that you also ran on August the 9th. And it has to do with the Speaker of the House of Commons. Please tell us that one. Well, Anthony Rhoda wanted to go to a Speaker's meeting. Uh, apparently they have these. And this was in January. Uh, speaker Rhoda is from around North Bay. I don't know, Roy, if you've ever been to North Bay in January. No. It's pretty refreshing. It's, it's hard to see to un, uh, unplug the block heater through your tears. It's like the wind that comes off the lake, it's like a cat clawing your face. And I guess Speaker Rhoda had enough of North Bay in January. And he thought, how, how about the South Pacific? So him and seven of his best friends, including a Speaker friend from the Senate, and including a House of Commons clerk by the name of Charles Robert, who had already announced his retirement after he was accused of sleeping on the job <laughs> So help me. Here we go again. I'm not making this up. They went to <laughs> Australia for a three-day conference. It cost $150,000 and change. Three days. So did the aforementioned individual catch up on his sleep? Well, presumably on the flight, what can you do for 12 hours while you're flying to a part of the world where it is literally summer in January? They brought their wives they had a wonderful time. The per diems were thousands of dollars. These were business class flights. Well, let's see. The sleeping guy, what did he charge for flights? 
That's not economy class. That, no. You are not getting no. the peanuts on the tap water in the economy class seat for 16000 it, it was a good time. Do you know what it makes me think of? Two of Mr. Trudeau's uh, closest associates and assistants, and what they charged Canadians after the 2015 election for moving from Toronto to Ottawa. It is. Remember that? It is. You know the difference, though, compared to that time, compared to this time? The finance minister, Ms. Freeland, had said this was, we were not going to do this anymore. She was quite insistent on budget day. Uh, Minister Freeland said she was going to cut gratuitous and unnecessary travel by fi- about 15%. It was going to save a fortune. This is what good governments do, she said. This is what prudent, thrifty, accountable governments do. Well, someone had a nice holiday. You know the best part about going to Australia is when you get to go to Australia from North Bay in January and John Q. Sucker taxpayer pays for it. Tom Korski is the executive editor of Black Locks Reporter at Minding Ottawa on X. Kind of hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, I'm glad it's almost over for, for today because <laughs> I am definitely losing it. No, no, you're not getting older. You're getting better, Roy. Oh, yeah, sure. I've got to get me one of those Twitter accounts one of these days, though, uh, before they change the name again. <laughs> get an X account. <laughs> so um, there's a whole bunch of things here I want to talk to you about. Uh, and let's talk about a, one that uh, really should, everybody should be paying attention to because we still don't have a public inquiry. Oh, um, I have to mention this. On our text line... From, uh, let's see where this come from, Toronto. No, how, what's happened here with this? Oh, you have to hang on a sec. Oh, yes. From uh, New Brunswick, from Daryl. You and your guest are telling Canada we're being goosed. I had to, I had to, I had to share that with you. And, and someone else pointed out that uh, in the north, Tom, snowmobiles are not a luxury. They are an item of just staying alive, and they're necessary to perform the, the daily tasks in those terribly cold conditions. The uh, no no one said they had to walk, uh, Roy. No, the, the, that wasn't really the, it was the, the payment of the snowmobile. That was yeah, the payoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got lost in the $16,000 flight to Australia. <laughs> I got into the wrong business. China is uh, withdrawing a quarter of its diplomats assigned to its Toronto consulate, where one spy was expelled in May. Please. This is interesting. The Department of Foreign Affairs does a regular registry of all foreign agents for all countries and territories who have representatives in Canada. And since the 2021 election... More than a quarter, 26% of the Chinese diplomats assigned to the Toronto consulate went back home. That's unusual. They went back to the motherland. Twenty, A quarter of the staff at the Chinese embassy in the consulate in Toronto. This is important because, as you mentioned, Roy, that's the consulate that had a, a staffer expelled, kicked out of the country in May as a spy. 
That hasn't happened in five years, and the last time it was with the Russians. And yet 26% mysteriously vanished. They went back to the motherland. By the way, they're still top-heavy, and there have been serious people, witnesses, have testified in parliamentary committee and said, really, do you really think there's that many, quote-unquote, air quotes, diplomats from China, that it's necessary for them to work? Let's look at the Toronto Consulate. They have, of uh, the uh, staff who remain, 28 diplomats in Toronto. There's only 20 at the U.S. consulate. (laughs) Japan has nine. There's two from the United Kingdom. What would 28 Chinese diplomats be doing in Toronto from Monday to Friday? Well, we know uh, on at least 12 occasions they were taking calls from the MP for Don Valley North, Han Dong. And we know that there were some suspicious dealings, according to former Special Rapporteur David Johnson, at a 2019 Liberal nomination meeting in Don Valley North. Whatever they're doing, Roy, there's lots of them to do it, even after a court of them went home. Yeah, that's an amazing story. It really is. Um, Seamus O'Regan launching a review of waterfront conditions after the B.C. port strike. It's always fun to run into the barn when everything's left, eh? You know, the uh, West Coast ports have vexed Parliament for many years, nine back-to-work orders in 50 years since about 1972. And the cabinet was very upset about the uh, strike on and off over 14 days in July by the Longshore and Warehouse Union local. What's interesting is Cabinet is, says it is a friend of labor. We know because they keep repeating this, except for when they order unions back to work. Uh, Minister O'Regan invokes an unusual clause of the Canada Labor Code called Section 106, promotion of industrial peace, it says. And that means you're going to dig down into what you believe may be some underlying issues. They don't like strikes. But, Roy, they don't want to take away the right to strike and declare those port workers as essential. Because you know what happens then? Then it's going to be like the police. Everything goes to arbitration, and you're going to be having a constable getting $120,000 a year directing traffic at a construction site. So they kind of like it both ways. And I think finally, Tom, we can have a look at uh, Air Canada. And uh, Air Canada's explanations or excuses in refusing to compensate passengers who arrived at their destination three days late. And I have to ask myself, how much fuel do those planes carry? <laughs> it, was, it, was like, it was like Amelia Earhart, only it didn't disappear over the Pacific. They picked the wrong guy, unfortunately for them. Uh, mom, pop, ordinary family, flying from Kelowna to Vancouver to Cairo for summer holiday in 2022. Unfortunately for Air Canada, father was an associate professor at the University of British Columbia and could read his terms of contract on his ticket. Well, they missed a connection, and everyone can relate to this, they missed a connection in Vancouver by 17 minutes because their flight on Air Canada is two hours late from Kelowna to Vancouver. One thing leads to another is a domino effect. (laughs) They land in Cairo three days late, but Air Air Canada was beautiful. They went into small claims court in B.C., and they said, you know, there were some staffing issues beyond our control. Everything is, <laughs> everything is beyond our control, except the peanuts and the tap water that you get served in, in economy class. 
The judge didn't buy it. I, I, I was surprised. Yeah. Uh, $1,000 plus interest plus court fees per passenger was the order. This is why Parliament just rewrote the air passenger protection regulations. They're fed up with it, Roy. So it reminds me of a satirical commercial that I uh, recorded when I was 20 years old in uh, rock and roll radio in Montreal. And the, it reminds me of the tagline, Tom. And it went like this. Yes, tomorrow, when you get up at the crack of noon, stay where you are. Let Air Canada go. <laughs> harsh, harsh. Yeah, but, I, you know, that's rock and roll. I mean, yeah, that's rock and roll. <laughs> it's the world of rock and roll. One more quickie. Uh, Poutine, how did that make the, uh, the, the, the agenda? Well, if you're a member of parliament, you can sponsor petitions. You're asked to sponsor petitions all the time. And there's an independent MP from Toronto, uh, Spadon. And that is Kevin Wong. And he was asked to sponsor a petition. He said, yeah, sure, why not? What does the petition say? We want an act of parliament to proclaim poutine as Canada's national food. We don't have one of those. And no province has an official provincial food. And as the petitioners wrote, perhaps we can all agree that poutine is delicious. It's a quintessential Canadian food. Now, others have said, is that the best we can do? It's French fries and gravy? Yes. Are we are we reaching for the star? No. Oh, I would vote for salmon pie, but why not? Yeah, let, the, let the argument begin. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.